Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Hector Alvarez, president of Alvarez Associates, about how to deal with workplace violence. And now, on to the interview. Okay, um, I am here at the EHS Exchange in uh, lovely uh, Arizona with Hector Alvarez. How's it going, Hector? Jay, it's going great. Great. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Yeah, we saw... Uh, Saw each other last August at the EHS Exchange in Cleveland. So yeah, I can't believe it's already been that long. I know. Yeah, about ten months, something like that. And we're already into April. Yeah. Um, why don't you uh, tell the folks again? Uh, you know what you do, and uh, you know. So a little bit of my background: yeah. about thirty years of experience, and it really spans corporate security, a little bit of law enforcement, and it's all wrapped up into you know helping prevent workplace violence, and it's across a couple of different spectrums. You know, looking at the, the physical space. Uh, looking at how we interact with each other, behavioral pieces. And then the, the last piece really is just tying it all together. And so if something comes up, we assess it and then help manage people through that, that situation. Excellent. Well, you know, we talked in August about the return to work, but now it's actually happening. Um, what, what are the concer- security concerns involved with return to work and even hybrid work? You know, what's really interesting, because this has come up with every single client, mm-hmm. is one, how unique the experiences are, and that there are employees who've moved away from their home base. There are people who've never met their boss or any of their peers in person. And now with this, it almost, I don't know if it's a mandate or the instructions, but to go back to the office, I'm hearing a lot of pushback. Mm-hmm. And so I think organizations trying to figure out how they're going to manage through a very changing relationship is going to be one of the things they have to focus on. Yeah, it's tough expectations, right? I mean, just what do you expect people to do? You know, do they need to be in the same office or can they just, you know, and also, you know, from a safety standpoint, you know, what are your expectations from them, you know, when they're in the office, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's interesting. It feels like, even though it's only been two years, that a lot of people have forgotten how to interact with each other. Mm-hmm. And so there's just some, some basic social contract things that have seemed to drift. And so getting back to being disciplined and getting up, getting dressed and going to the office and, and, and you know, being a, a business professional again, um, I think that's going to be unique for a lot of organizations, both for the employer and the employee. So what are you telling, um, you know, your clients who are uh, employers about sort of how to handle you know, these folks who are coming back into the office, how do you, do you almost have to onboard them again to, into, you know, sort of security expectations and safety expectations? Oh, absolutely. I mean, everything you went through being back in the office, I think the, these organizations should go back and do a formal onboarding process. But I think the underlining thing is this. I, I keep hearing people using a phrase similar to, you know, we, we were all in this storm together. We weathered this storm together. And this, this blanket statement, I think, is really problematic because yes we all went through the same experience but we each had a very unique experience right and if we don't acknowledge that and treat each employee individually i think we can really get ourselves into trouble and we've had that we've had some real serious issues with employees either being required to have a a vaccine or required to show a test Uh, and i've had several employees really push back that have turned into pretty significant security issues are now you know we're talking in early April, 2022. Yeah. Are companies still requiring? Are, are they doing testing? Or like, uh, are, are they relaxing those requirements? That's what are you seeing? Jay, that's what's so interesting. Um, it's such a varied approach. Mm-hmm. 
we've, we've got some cities, counties, organizations that are, are really into and, and very strictly going to enforce a vaccine mandate. They're going to continue to enforce mask mandates. And then we have some that, as soon as the ability to remove any of the mandates were put in place, they stripped and went back to work. <laughs> and there were some who just didn't follow the mandates at all. And there's some know, that didn't follow. Florida. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, and, and so we're in California, mm -hmm. and it's interesting. It's, it's, it's a mix mm -hmm. of, of how, how strict people are in complying. And I think that's going to be the problem for the general person. It's so inconsistent from one organization to the other. So I guess how, how would you advise companies to deal with somebody who is resistant to, you know, any kind of sort of COVID preventative measure? Yeah, I think we're going to have to really put our HR hats on and, and remember that it's not a cookie cutter approach, that we have a consistent piece. And I think that's going to be one of the biggest, if there's going to be a bellwether case, case that comes up later, did we treat everybody consistently with respect to how we evaluated what, if they're going to have any exceptions, if we're going to allow, you know, if we're going to make any accommodations for people, um, we're still working this out. And on the flip side of that, if we have a hybrid, we start to get back to this discussion that, you know, if we have an employee working from home, is the kitchen table and, uh, you know, a light from the living room, is that going to be ergonomically correct and are we going to have other problems? And, and so there's issues on both sides, either coming back to the office or working from home. Yeah, so let's talk about that working from home part. Uh, how do you, you know, regulate are you responsible for somebody's ergonomic health if they're working from home if you're an employer so you know I'm more on the security side yeah right. but I but I do touch OSHA quite a bit and a lot of the discussions that I have is while my employee is working for me with my equipment I, I do believe there is some ownership sure sure I, I do think as a management as a manager I think we're required to monitor our employee safety and so having the camera on so we can mm -hmm. see the environment so we can see that we're doing uh, we've had several situations already where a meeting was taking place and some type of domestic situation occurred. What do you do then? Um, yeah, and, are you a witness if you, you know what I mean, if you can hear that or? Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 you know, they've had some tough choices to make. Do we yes. hang up? Do we call? What do you do? And so I think we do have a connection and I do think we still have an obligation. And I think it's a regulatory obligation that that's still our employee doing our work for us. So how do you approach that if you're an employer? I, I think if you're going to formalize this hybrid work environment, just like we do JSAs, you know, analyze what they're doing in the office, we need to analyze what they're doing at home, set some parameters. I think you need to meet virtually with cameras on at least once a week, at least once a week, mm -hmm. so we can check in and, and make sure an employee is doing okay emotionally, physically. Um, the production of work, I think, is the easier thing to track, right, yeah. but it's, it's that... It's that hallway passing conversation that we used to have that's not going to exist as much. And I think it's important to recreate that experience. And I mean, in some cases, it's probably never coming back, right? I mean, there's people who are never going to work in an office again. I, I strongly agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had people that have moved states away. Um, I've got a cousin of mine who uh, had an opportunity to take a new job. And his old job said, why don't you keep working for us? And both companies got together and agreed. Yeah, he wow. can work for us both. So he's working two jobs. And it's because he can do it virtually. He doesn't right. have to go into an office. So I think we're going to see people not return to the office. I think we're going to see a change in relationship. And I think people are going to leave companies more frequently than they did before. Yeah, definitely. I've heard that too. Um, what sort of, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, you're seeing companies now changing their sort of uh, views on office space and sort of how they manage that. 
Um, you know, if you, if you don't have a lot of people working in an office, maybe they go to sort of a co-working kind of situation where you don't have individual workstations. You just have sort of generic ones that somebody can come in and plug in their computer or whatever. But, you know, how does that change sort of the security dynamic? It, if you've it got just people randomly coming in it, it, cha- it changes a lot. But, you know, one of the things that we look for on the security side is consistency. We look for patterns, uh, make sure that there's compliance with those standards we put in place. And, you know, with this transient population and this, this hybrid working environment, I get really concerned that you may be working next to somebody okay. in, your, in your hoteling cube that you don't know who they are. You've never seen them before. And so there's not going to be that recognition that this is a coworker. And so things like requiring... Uh, visible badges, procedures. Uh, I would love to see a set day when employees had to come back if we're going to do a hybrid version. But I think that's going to be the big problem is there's going to be a lot of anonymity. Mm-hmm. And we're just not touching base with each other as much as we would pre-pandemic. And that's one of the core things we talk about when you're looking for people that have problems is that there's been some behavioral change or pattern change. Uh, that's going to be a real challenge, I think, for some organizations. Yeah, so let's talk about sort of the behavioral side of things. You know, what, obviously, how has COVID, I guess we'll start off with, how has COVID affected how companies deal with employee mental health? Because clearly, it's much more of an issue now. Yeah. So in my experience, it's been a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. Some have taken a a pretty direct approach of recognizing that they need to strengthen their uh, employee assistance programs, that they need to strengthen their employee wellness programs, and they start doing that by training their managers don't know what to look for. Right. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to create this, this, this air of psychological safety so our employees feel comfortable bringing their concerns forward. On the flip side of that, I've got organizations that uh, are not aware of the need to monitor the work environment. They're, they're not aware of the mental or behavioral health aspects um, or the significant impact. And a lot of us are still waiting to see what's going to happen. But we're seeing you know, calls to suicide hotlines going up, domestic mm-hmm. violence is going up. Uh, we, we've seen some impacts. And if the approach is, we're just gonna wait and see what happens, um, I, I think that's gonna be a, a strategy that is not gonna pay out very well. Yeah, because I mean, I imagine in a lot of cases, if you've got people who are working remotely, it's out of sight, out of mind. So, you know, I mean, like you don't, you know, if you're not dealing with a person in the office every day and they're having issues and, you know, Maybe you're not paying as close attention to what's going on with them, uh, and then something ends up happening. So yeah, no. One of the things that is consistently true is that when I've been involved with incidents that have resulted in workplace violence, there are always signs and indicators that were overlooked or ignored or just not responded to. I, I see that only increasing even more. Mm-hmm. Is that we're going to miss that? And the the challenge is for all of us, even though your employee may not work in the office that may be where they go to carry out their act or their grievance. And that's the experience that I've been dealing with is fine. I'm not going to take that, that vaccine or the testing and the employee gets upset and they go to the office. Right. Even though they're just working from home. Yeah. Yeah. So I think organizations are really going to have to make sure they focus on the basics. They're still doing the assessments. They're training their managers what to look for, but it is going to, I believe strongly, it's going to be a different game for a very long time. So what would you tell managers to look for specifically? So first, it's that baseline. So we've got to get a a core manager group that's willing to touch base with their employees, to check in not only via email, but face-to-face, and then watching for that shift in behavior. And there's a couple key things that concern us. 
you know, the constantly disgruntled employee mm -hmm. that we can never, uh, you know, alleviate their concerns or address their concerns enough. Um, and they start expressing those concerns. But one of the biggest indicators we tell them is, is to watch for a, a significant change in behavior. Well, if you don't know what kind of a baseline was, you'll never recognize right, that. Right, right. So we've got to get employees who care, I almost said enough, and I think that is what I meant, about their employees to check in with them on a regular basis. Yeah, and I guess, you know, like you said, it's, you know, it's more difficult to do that when you've got people who aren't necessarily in, you know, in your line of sight every yeah. day. Um, you know, and like, are you seeing uh, more different, different policies that, that companies are putting into place? Have you, you know, have you advised them on sort of how to kind of word that, you know, those policies? So we're seeing different strategies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some want employees engaged on a set time, you know, eight to five, if you will. And there is, there's monitoring software that you can get and kind of track employees' activities. Some are task-driven, as long as you're doing what task you're assigned, don't really care when you do that. Could there be some HR implications from somebody working at 11 o'clock at night? I think probably. Mm -hmm. and, and so there's this huge balance of that. And so sometimes it's technology, sometimes it's policy, sometimes it's practice. And I think whatever approach you take, I think the organizations need to formalize it and then march forward with that strategy rather than the don't ask, don't tell approach of like, I don't want to know if you're working on your emails at 11 o'clock at night. Right. We're going to see that timestamp come through and it's going to become a problem. Have you heard of an increase in, you know, sort of, I guess, sort of, you know, stalker kind of instance, but like employees, I guess, electronically, you know, stalking uh, fellow employees, you know, more now that, that they're just from home, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, more unwanted emails, more like, you know, unwanted, you know, is that kind of, are those kind of incidents going up or is it hard to tell just because of the nature of work nowadays? So for, you know, within my scope and the organizations that I'm dealing with, what I've seen is a shift in employee relations types issues, where it used to be what I said or did in front of you in the break room. Right now it's now it's online right. or via email. And do, yeah, I mean, like, do people yeah. get a little braver now that they're online as opposed that, to in person? You know what I mean? I, I think the, the answer, the correct answer, is going to be yes. Now, will the studies and statistics bear that? I don't know, but from my experience, absolutely, we're seeing people behave in an inappropriate manner in ways they wouldn't have before. Yeah, we're definitely seeing people behave in, in, in ways online they definitely would not in person. Right. I mean, it's, I think it's just uh, internet culture in general, right? I mean, people, you know, everybody's a keyboard warrior, right? I mean, you know, you, you, if you're not face-to-face -face with somebody, you know, you, have, you can sort of say things and do things that you necessarily wouldn't do in person. Absolutely. And then sometimes it's unintentionally inappropriate. You know, I've had in, in my trainings, I've, I've trained, you know, thousands of people online. I've had people go to the bathroom and forget their cameras were on. I've had people make calls and forget that they were online. I've had people stand up and forget that they are wearing shorts. Um, and so it's, or not, you know, wearing, or shorts. not wearing shorts, you know, <laughs> but we've had a lot of situations where people are accidentally inappropriate. Right. And it, it, all it takes is the wrong group of people to have witnessed that or participate in that. And that's consistent. I mean, at every level we've had, you know, senior executives at, at news outlets embarrass themselves online yeah. down to, you know, small mom and pop companies that I deal with. And so I think it's part of the new dynamic is that the way people are going to behave inappropriately is going to be in a new format. 
Um, and and uh, does that put additional pressure on an employer to really pay attention to stuff like that and discipline if need be? It, it does, because if you dig into the heart of your policies, I, I can almost guarantee somewhere it says, you know, any form of harassment, whether it's electronic, whether it's verbal, but that last piece electronically probably wasn't focused on very much. Well, now it's, it's the thing that's front and center. And, and so I think you need to spend time with your managers getting ready to know how to manage this new team. So how about uh, with businesses that, you know, have to be customer facing, have to have people in, you know, in the business, you know, to make it work. How have security concerns changed for them over the last two years? A lot. So I just did a training for a group of grocery store managers, several hundreds from multiple states, and all their employees were on the front line the entire time. And in every single session, I had somebody breaking down in tears because they're just, they're reliving how nasty some customers can be to them. And this social contract of how we treat each other is really getting broken. Mm -hmm. And how you take care of your employees and, and help build up their, their de-escalation and their competition management pieces are going to be huge because they're exhausted. And then when you hear people just returning back to work, what I'm hearing from our frontline workers, I've been here every day. Right, you know, right, I've yeah. been doing the work every day and, I, and I'm tired of you treating me that way. So teaching your employees how to set boundaries, how to say no, how to professionally push back, I think is going to be really critical because it, we have a new group of, of customers coming into our, our, our area of responsibilities. And, and clearly, you know, I guess, you know, we were talking about people being brave online and doing things they wouldn't necessarily do in person, but people in person are now doing things they never used to do, right? I mean, Absolutely, like, without a doubt. I, you know, I think part of it was the anonymity that we had of wearing a mask and everybody kind of kept to themselves and nobody was really calling out uh, inappropriate behavior. And the kind of person that would act out inappropriately, I think thrived in that environment and has continued to thrive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess, how do you kind of, I mean, obviously you've got to watch for warning signs, even just, you know, when customers come in, you know, what are you telling, I guess, sort of frontline workers when they, you know, to watch for when somebody comes into their business who might be, you know, questionable? It's surprisingly easy because I don't have to teach people very often what to look for because they'll tell me, you know, we see a thousand customers a day and only one or two stand out as behavior being concerning. So what we focus on is getting people, the employees, more comfortable setting boundaries, stepping back, pushing away, saying no. Um, but it, it's rare that people don't recognize the inappropriate behavior. Because I guess if you've been working in that environment for so long, you know what to look for. You, you know, know what to look for. You're like, oh, this guy's trouble right here. You yeah, know? And it's, be, it's, be, it's based on their behavior yeah. because they're behaving very differently than the other 999 customers that came through right. who didn't act out that way. Uh, it's just, I guess, nowadays it's just the possibility of things might escalate more. Yeah. You, you, know, you know who the troublemaker is, but you're not exactly sure what they're going to do. You know, very famously and, and you know, very widely known, the airlines are struggling with inappropriate behavior, aggressive behavior right. from uh, a lot of customers. Uh, we're seeing that in a lot of different industries. Well, there's two sides to every confrontation, and so I think what the opportunity is going to be is to train our employees how to recognize the behavior and intervene before it escalates. Right. Uh, you know, there's a lot of programs, people that talk about de-escalation. We have to teach our employees about escalation avoidance, how to keep the problem from escalating. Because we still have to fly, we still have to drive, we still have to buy stuff. 
and that means we're going to interact with people, and we can only control one side of the interaction, and that's our response. Plus, you can also escalate if another customer or passenger gets annoyed at that person and starts and, and we're starts seeing that. there's been a couple right. of you know stories in the media where customers intervened because they they saw us happening and you know tragically in I think it's California I believe we had two customers who tried to intervene and they were both shot mm-hmm. and one of them didn't make it and and so there's extreme consequences because you don't really so want you don't want them to get in the way we don't want them to get in yeah you know so it, I think it's going to be a lot of resetting expectations for our employees resetting expectations for the customers but your organization is going to it's going to descend to the level of violence that you allow you're going to have as much violence or inappropriate behavior as you decide to accept and so setting those boundaries and what are those thresholds are, are going to be what distinguishes how much of that activity you have do you feel like this is going to calm down at some point, or is this just sort of level we're at now? Man, I, I hate that question because I, I think... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I hate that question because I, I, I bluntly, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. I think, you know, when I looked into the eyes of these employees who were in tears because people were treating them so badly, and no clear path forward mm-hmm. was the second part of the problem, was I think is why I had a manager tell me he, he felt hopeless. Yeah. Hopeless and helpless. And all he wants to do is have a, a polished store. I think we're going to have some, some, some heavy days ahead of us. Walk through that. And then we're going to have to set boundaries again and expectations. And then we'll get back to it. The good thing about it is I, I think we're a very social creature. And we need each other. And, and we need that to be a positive experience. How long it takes to get there, I just don't know. Yeah, I guess part of the problem that people became anti, even more antisocial than maybe they already were just because, by virtue of being cooped up in their homes? or I had people that know. looked me in the eye and said, Hector, I didn't realize how much of an introvert personality I was until I had the opportunity, and it was acceptable, and I love it. I, I could wear a mask all the time. I could not talk to anybody all day long. And then taking that person and then telling them, you have to go to the office right, right. is really challenging. So, yeah, there's a lot of new uh, nuances. Went back and forth. and mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, Hector, I want to thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Have a great uh, rest of your conference. You too. Absolutely. I always love chatting. Yeah, thanks. That wraps up episode 107 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. (laughs) 